This is Ringler Radio, where you get all the latest news and information about settlement solutions, litigation, mediation, and structured financial security from Ringler, the largest and most experienced company of settlement consultants in the United States. Ringler has been helping injured people and their families since 1975. Ringler Radio is made possible in part by American General, Liberty Mutual, MetLife, Mutual of Omaha, New York Life, Pacific Life, and Prudential. Now join Ringler Radio host Larry Cohen. Well, hello and welcome to Ringler Radio, everyone. I'm Larry Cohen, the head of Ringler's Northeast Operations. And once again, we're glad you joined us. Well, you may have heard that class action lawsuits have been filed against Facebook and political consulting firm Cambridge Analytica on behalf of 87 million users and shareholders in response to those entities allegedly obtaining user information without permission. User lawsuits are seeking damages over Facebook's inability to protect user data and Cambridge Analytica's exploitation of that data to benefit the 2016 campaign of Donald Trump. In addition, a class action was recently filed citing materially false and or misleading claims about the company's handling of user data and failure to disclose this controversy with Cambridge Analytica to shareholders. It's quite a controversy, I must say, and here on Ringle Radio, we cover a wide array of current legal topics, and today we're going to take a look at these actions against Facebook and Cambridge Analytica and the impact they'll have on the social media giant, Facebook. And joining me today as my co-host in this discussion is my friend and Ringler colleague, Ryan Kristen Oliphant. Ryan started at Ringler in 2005 and has been a settlement consultant since 2013. He heads Ringler's Covington, Kentucky office while supporting our operations in Cincinnati and Columbus, Ohio. Ryan, you're a busy man. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. Great to be here. Terrific. And our guest today is attorney Zachary Heck from the Ohio law firm Faruqi, Ireland, Cox, Reinhardt, and Dusing. Zach's practice focuses on business litigation and privacy law, and specifically Zach assists clients in the areas of privacy compliance, defense litigation, class action defense, and guidance in the aftermath of a cybersecurity incident or data breach. And Zach speaks and writes frequently on cutting-edge data privacy and cybersecurity issues, and is also an adjunct professor for the Wright State University Engineering and Computer Science Departments. That's quite a plate you have there, Zach. Welcome to the show. Thanks, Larry. I'm happy to be here. Well, this is a very timely topic, and I'm, I'm awfully glad you're here. Zach, the New York Times featured an article last month exposing the Facebook and Cambridge Analytica scandal. Uh, give us an overview of how the data breach harvesting was first discovered and, uh, and how that all happened. Sure. Uh, I think it's the best way is to start with the technology involved, just exactly how uh, this could happen. Facebook offers a number of different uh, technological tools that software developers are able to use in putting up different apps and different quizzes or different add-ons onto Facebook. So you might remember Farmville, you might remember some of those games that you could play on there. Uh, Facebook has these tools that allow developers to be able to get their content to the Facebook user. And one of those is Facebook Login. And that application allows users to log into a website or an app using their Facebook account instead of having to create new credentials. So since we all have 50 or 60 passwords that we're trying to keep track of, this allows you to 
enter different websites using your Facebook login instead of having to come up with an original uh, password for that. So when people are using Facebook login, they're granting the developer of the application a range of information from that user's Facebook profile. So this can include their name, uh, geographical location, their email, phone number, friend list. If you have it tied to your Facebook account, that information is now available. So in 2015, a uh, Cambridge University professor, his name's Dr. Kogan, he created an app, and it was called This Is Your Digital Life. And in order to use that app, you had to use Facebook's login feature. So when someone would go to This Is Your Digital Life, they're signing in using Facebook login, and by virtue of doing that, the developer now has access to the Facebook user's information. In 2015, uh, Facebook had allowed developers to collect information not just on the user at that time, but also uh, to the information of friend networks of that user who were also using Facebook logins. So in other words, a single user agreed to hand over their data but developers were also able to access all their data friends about that user's friends. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, it wasn't a secret. This wasn't something that um, was kept under the rug. Instead, Facebook had it documented in their terms of services. So it was there for anyone to read through if they wanted, if they had trouble getting to sleep at night and wanted to read about 60 pages of text somewhere at the bottom of page X, they would see that this is what's going on. But since 2015, uh, Facebook's updated their terms of service, so this isn't possible mm -hmm. anymore. Well, you know, you know it's, it's very interesting. You're, um, the, the whole genesis of this is, to some degree, I guess, let me just say fairly innocent, but then it became used for a little more nefarious purposes. Is that, is that essentially a good overview statement, or, is, or am I wrong? I think that's a good overview statement. It's, there's always this tension when it comes to privacy and convenience. We, want to, we say we want things to remain private. We say that we value privacy, but we also don't want to have to come up with an original password that we want to have to remember. So they put together this tool, makes it convenient, makes it easy, and yet we give up information. So when all these users were logging in through um, the Facebook login to this website, uh, Dr. Kogan is able to access data from now we know it's 87 million Facebook users. That number could climb, uh, but reported this morning is 87 million. And all of this had happened the way that Facebook had intended for it to happen. That's the trade-off. Use our login and, and get the data. The problem was Dr. Kogan shared that data with Cambridge Analytica. And Facebook's argument now is that sharing with a third party violates Facebook's terms of service. Uh, under the rules, developers, they're not allowed to transfer any data that they receive from Facebook. Even if they uh, make it anonymous, they aggregate it, they derive from the data, they can't share that with an ad network data broker or other advertising or monetization-related service. Facebook might deal with advertisers directly, but if you're uh, contracted with Facebook as an app developer, 
that data stays between you and the app developer. So the problem came when the information was shared with Cambridge Analytica. And we're going to get into more about that as we go through this uh, interesting conversation. Terrific. We've covered data breaches on Ringler Radio in the past. Are we looking at Facebook's lax privacy laws here? And how could this have been prevented, Zach? Right. I think it's it's not so much lax privacy uh, terms and conditions, because they spelled it out uh, pretty clearly. I think it's more the enforcement, because Facebook, they give a lot of trust to the developers who are using its software features. And they're, at least to my knowledge and from what I've seen in this matter, there's no method that Facebook had of enforcing compliance with terms of services. They've not, there's nothing that's been uh, reported about audits about uh, doing any type of investigation with their business associates to make sure that they're keeping that information uh, in-house. The company's terms of services, they're in agreement in the same way that any user agrees to use Facebook. It's kind of like a contract, and the rules represent that contract. Um, So Facebook can punish someone, but that ability to punish or take action doesn't come into effect until the data has been disclosed or it's been shared. So you have to wait until the harm's already occurred before Facebook can do anything. So I think it's a problem not so much in um, what, they've, what they've done as being able to enforce um, adherence with those terms and services. Yeah, that's interesting. So it, it, it's as if... Uh, Professor Kogan is really the culprit in terms of moving some of this data over to Cambridge Analytica. You know, the fact that he could have accumulated or aggregated this information was part of the initial Facebook approach. But the fact, I don't don't think they expected him to do what he did with the information. Is that a fair statement? I I think that's right. And I think that's what we're going to see Facebook's argument uh, when they go into court. I think they're going to say that uh, their terms and conditions they spelled out what they can do with that data. Now, when you look at at the average Joe, are we sitting around reading our terms and conditions inside and out? No, absolutely not. I've written terms and conditions. I know people aren't reading them. Um, But you make those representations so that the one person that wants to go through and really um, make an informed decision about what they're doing with their data, we want to make sure that person's on notice. And so Facebook's argument is, you were on notice that this data is going to be shared with the app developer. What you weren't on notice about, what we didn't know, is that the app developer is going to share that with someone else and that there's political motivations behind it, allegedly. Now, Zach, user data was allegedly collected without permission. What do you believe was done with this information collected by Cambridge Analytica from Facebook users? Right. So uh, Cambridge Analytica, they have a, uh, as what's been reported in the news, they have a political uh, motivation that they've been affiliated with the 2016 Trump campaign. And the idea was basically, how do we use uh, online data analytics about users to better convey uh, political 
um, arguments, advertising, information about our candidate. And a number of uh, conservative candidates had contracted with Cambridge Analytica, I believe Ted Cruz had uh, worked with them. And it's not new using data analytics to better target voters and get your message to them. One of the first um, candidates to do that was Howard Dean in 2004, really utilizing the internet. And then you saw the Obama campaign in 2008 and 2012 make use of it. Mitt Romney in 2012 also made use of it. So it's nothing new, and it's, it's completely fine to do that. The problem was the way in which the data was collected. And we've you know already discussed how it was a violation of the terms of services to do so. Um, but that's what this data seems to have been used for. It's not, I, I'm not seeing anything um, that talks about identity theft or accusations of identity theft. It was for more targeted advertising, but that doesn't take identity theft off the table. Anytime that data is shared with another point of contact, that's another vulnerability. Uh, when I counsel clients, I'm counseling companies, I tell them, be careful who you're transmitting data to and who you transfer data to and make sure you have agreements with those people because it's like a web and each time it goes to another strand, that's another place that an intruder can target to take this information. And there's a wealth of information available that we give away on Facebook. Well, you know, you brought up a, a really great point, though, uh, Zach, when you mentioned that uh, prior candidates and different, uh, different uh, campaigns had used, you know, collected data, you know, in fact, I remember hearing that, uh, you know, for example, in this particular, the Democrats were saying they were so much better at micro-targeting their, their, their voters that they thought they were going to have a great advantage. And it looks like Cambridge might have done that even better, but simply, you know, absconded with a lot of this information out of Facebook rather than collect it from other means. So uh, part of this, I'm wondering, is is part of this all part of the political game, or or, or, are there, or is there something that, that happened here that uh, that you know supersedes any any political process or any political complaint? It's generally part of the the political process in terms of using data analytics to to better advertise. What ended up going outside the the political realm is that it was all surreptitious. It was all under the cloak of darkness and without user consent. So when you see, and, and I'm citing presidential campaigns just because they're, they're easier, especially with a broader uh, listening base, but um, you, you see plenty of examples where when you sign up to volunteer with a campaign or you uh, sign up for an email distribution list, that's when you're um, consenting to give information to that organization. Here, these were just Facebook users that wanted to take an online quiz. Uh, they didn't realize that their information was going to go to a um, hired political gun. And so that's what makes it takes it out of the uh, political realm. Right, but it could have gone to the hired political gun of the other side, too. I mean, it, 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 ha- it happened to have gone on one side. It could have gone on the other, and you'd still be facing the same issues you're talking about today. Absolutely. So let's let's just examine briefly what are the users and shareholders of uh, Facebook? What are they seeking in damages and compensation for uh, for what transpired? Right. So uh, starting with the the shareholder suit um, that was filed uh, 
I believe it was March 22nd, so uh, just uh, just over 10 days ago. And that suit is brought by the shareholders of Facebook against members of the board. So they're suing the CEO, Mark Zuckerberg. They're suing the COO, Sheryl Sandberg. And um, a number of other board members have also been named. Jen uh, Kelm, Reed Hastings, Erskine Bowles. And what they're seeking is two basic categories of, of remedies. The first is they, they're alleging that Facebook's market capitalization has gone down by $50 billion uh, since, um, since it's been reported uh, this scandal. So they're not seeking $50 billion in damages, but instead they're seeking the costs and disbursements from the board to make sure that the shareholders aren't losing as much valuation that they have in the company, that they basically want the money to come from the board um, to make sure that the, uh, the shareholders are covered. So with respect to financial and monetary um, issues, this is a suit uh, essentially by the board against the board or by the company against the board to make sure that the company's interests are at heart. And their allegations are that the board violated its fiduciary duty to the shareholders, that essentially they made representations that user data would be protected, that user data uh, would not fall into the wrong hands, and they had to uh, they didn't have the enforcement mechanisms or the oversight available to make sure that they kept that representation. That's the first bucket of um, of damages that they're seeking. What they're also seeking, in addition to that um, restitution, is that they're also seeking um, a strengthening of corporate governance policy. So they want a proposal to strengthen board oversight and supervision of Facebook data security practices. They want a proposal to strengthen Facebook's disclosure controls to ensure uh, information is adequately and timely disclosed to the public, to the Securities and Exchange Commission. They, they want all these proposals. They want to cancel the votes from 2017 that reelected these board members to the board. They essentially want them out, and they want to an order that would disgorge the company all compensation that the board members received following that election. So this is a suit about action. They want Facebook internally to tighten up their ship and make sure that um, that this doesn't happen again. So that's that's that. Uh, type of lawsuit. Well, that that that's really a terrific overview of, of the remedies that are being sought. Uh, we're going to take a quick break right now, but uh, it sounds like that that board needs to make sure they have directors and officers liability coverage with pretty high limits. That's what I would that's encourage right. them to do. Right. All right, so let's take a quick break right now. We'll be right back. Uh, I'm going to check the room for listening devices, and in the meantime, we'll be back in a minute right here on Ringle Radio with a tremendous uh, discussion on this very timely topic. We'll be right back. This is Ringler Radio, brought to you from Ringler, the nation's leading provider of fair settlement solutions. Did you know that Ringler is involved in a third of all structured settlement cases in the country? Ringler Advisors work with all the parties in a lawsuit settlement to find the best possible financial solution for the people involved. Everybody wins. 
There's a Ringler consultant in all the major cities of the U.S. No one has more experienced experts in the settlement business than Ringler. Check out our website at www.ringlerassociates.com for the best information for injured parties, attorneys, and claims professionals to find the Ringler advisor nearest you. When it's your interest at stake in a lawsuit settlement, you want only the best, most objective financial plan. You can count on Ringler Advisors to create a customized plan that meets the financial needs of you and your family for the future. Visit RinglerAssociates.com to learn more. Welcome back to Ringler Radio. Glad you could join us. I'm your host, Larry Cohen, along with my co-host and Ringler colleague, Ryan Kristen Oliphant from our Covington, Kentucky office. We're with our special guest, attorney Zach Heck from the Ohio law firm Faruqi Ireland Cox Reinhardt and Dusing. So, Zach, let's get back into this uh, whole Facebook issue. One key area of your practice is what they call breach response. How do how do people respond to these these breaches of privacy and other issues? How has uh, Mark Zuckerberg handled the Cambridge Analytical Facebook controversy? I know he, he he hid for a while. He came back. He's he's trying to be out there. What's your impression of uh, of his interaction so far with this issue? I, I think he probably gets uh, a B if if I were grading it. Um, when when you have an incident, and that, and that's the the threshold question is always determining whether you have an incident or whether you have a breach. A breach is a legal term of art, right? Uh, Different states define breach differently. Different federal laws define breach differently. And depending upon whether or not the uh, facts at issue meet that definition, suddenly it triggers different responsibilities under the applicable statute. You might have to give notice to a state attorney general. You might have to give individual notice to affected users. So the first time, first moment we have an incident, I always urge a client to get a group of people in the room that you want to be your incident response team. Uh, The lawyer should be your first call. Your second call is going to be PR. Then you want executive management. You want operations in the room. You want IT in the room. You want people in the room that can explain technically what happened, someone that can make a response happen, and you want your lawyer and your PR team to be working in coordination with one another to where the lawyer can tell you, these are your duties, these are your obligations, and this is the risk that you face right now. And then the PR team to be able to handle that message, to be able to craft the message and to handle it. Far, far too often, we see a CEO that as soon as something happens, he wants to get in front of a microphone and say, we have everything under control. And it doesn't always become consistent with what the right message is for the company. So I know Zuckerberg received a lot of flack for uh, sitting around and waiting and, um, and, and not jumping on a message right away. Part of that is, is strategic. He's probably being held back by his PR team and legal team to say, hang on, let's make sure we fully understand what has occurred. Let's not just say something for the sake of saying something. The problem is that 
Facebook had been receiving so much criticism before this even occurred, way back in 2016, when there were allegations and discussions about Russian interference and uh, use of social media and use of Facebook and Twitter to be able to uh, target and, uh, depending upon who you talk to, allegedly manipulate voters with uh, false information. So Zuckerberg and Facebook found themselves in a difficult spot because they already had that looming over them, and this just contributes to the narrative. So where he's fallen short is the ineffective ability to respond to the prior crisis, to respond adequately to the prior information, because now it just snowballs. Now where they're at right now, he's doing interviews. He's set to testify before Congress next week. I know Sheryl Sandberg is hitting um, a number of national um, talk shows and interview shows. So they're getting recognizable names out there that people have heard, people have read, um, and that's good. Uh, they are yeah. the face of Facebook. It would not. It's one thing for a Target or a Home Depot to send out a spokesperson when no one really knows who the CEO is of either of those companies off the top of their head. But Mark Zuckerberg, that's more of a household name. He's had a movie named about him. Sheryl Sandberg has written books. So it's smart for them to get out, to, con- to craft the message, be consistent with the message, and be transparent, because that's what they have to do right now. Um, they've, Zuckerberg said himself that this has been a massive breach of trust, and so they have to regain that trust. And what I fail to see right now is any specific or concrete uh, proposal or recommendation that they're making to be able to do that. Now, part of it is because they've got lawsuits filed against them, and their lawyers are telling them, don't, don't say too much. Uh, we don't want admission of liability. So I think they're doing the best that they can with what they have. It's just a very difficult spot to be in. No question. And, and the fact that you gave him a B grade on all this, I, I also feel that's probably the lowest grade he's ever gotten. So, uh, you know, that's, <laughs> probably. That's, that's another thing to talk about. Okay, we have seen advertisers and users fleeing Facebook. Elon, Elon Musk deleted his SpaceX and Tesla Facebook accounts on, I believe, March 23rd. How will this controversy impact Facebook? Will we see fines or even worse, a takedown of the social media giant? I think it's too early to figure out if, if it's going to be a, a takedown of, of Facebook. It, it, it's possible in the sense that anything is possible. What I think you're going to see is you might see some other big names leave the platform, delete their profile from it. You've already seen users request to delete, to find out what information is stored on them and then uh, delete their account. So that's naturally going to happen. I think the bigger danger for Facebook is they're starting to see the lawsuits. They're starting to see the investigations from state attorney generals. And they're already under a consent decree with the Federal Trade Commission. They, in 2011, um, the FTC settled with Facebook, and as part of the terms of that settlement, and an FTC investigation is called a consent decree, Facebook agreed that before they share information, they're going to affirmatively receive consent from the user. And so right now, and this is being cited in the lawsuits against Facebook, the terms of that decree said 
that should they violate it, the FTC has the right to impose a $40,000 fine for every day they've been in violation. So this is before we even get into lawsuits, damages, uh, new investigations. We're still playing catch-up from seven years ago. And at $40,000 a day, if the FTC were to make that huge of a um, penalty, which I'm, I'm almost certain would be probably the largest – in in American history, I don't I don't see them going that far. Uh, but that that's the major danger that Facebook is in right now is making sure that they can defend themselves from a multitude of of different fronts, from the plaintiffs bar, the state attorney generals, federal agencies, and then all the retroactive um, consent decrees that they've had. And that's just in the United States. We've not even. I mean, it's it's. There's even more under European law, under British law, which um, just part of the European culture takes privacy and security uh, in a much more intimate and personal way than yeah. we see in a lot of contemporary American attitudes. Yeah, and I think we can't forget that Cambridge Analytica is really a British company. So I mean, there are there are all kinds of maybe international issues that are, that'll come up in this. Well, let's close this discussion. Let me ask, do you foresee that future lawsuits by Facebook users, shareholders, and advertisers, uh, is that going to be a, a real cautionary tale for other major uh, social media giants like Twitter and others? I mean, are any of those other entities, they may not have faced the same Cambridge Analytica kind of issue, but are they on notice now to really kind of clean up their act too? I think so. Uh, in my experience, um, whenever you have a traditional data breach, whether it be Anthem, Target, you know, wh whatever the company might be, it is within hours, not even days, within hours that the plaintiff's bar has filed a uh, class action lawsuit. I mean, they, they jump at them like, like barracudas. And that's part of the game. That's part of the process. So we're seeing that right now. It's just been a few days, and Facebook's already, I think it's a total of maybe a dozen different lawsuits, um, class actions, all because of the way in which this data went to a third party, Cambridge Analytica. So other social media websites, certainly, if they face just a normal uh, breach, normal in, in quotation marks, um, if they are sharing it with advertisers in a way that circumvents user consent, this could open up an entirely new um, type of, of lawsuit litigation strategy. And, and we see it all the time. We see more and more lawsuits filed every day in some way relating to a breach or an unauthorized acquisition of personal identifying information, and they come under multiple different theories. Um, in California, the class action was for negligence and a violation of California's unfair uh, business practices. There's been lawsuits I've seen where they cite breach of contract or unjust enrichment um, as theories. So the plaintiff's bar is really creative in how they, they frame these lawsuits. And they instantly get media attention because 
it's social media, it's privacy. You see a lot of state attorney generals uh, jumping on this because now we're in an election year and everyone can get behind privacy. And for an attorney general that's thinking about running for governor or Senate or maybe even the presidency, this is an easy way to uh, do some good to represent constituents, get their name out there and draw attention to an ever-growing problem. And the uh, the dollar signs are not small either. They're very big. And uh, I must say that you've just made a lot of our listeners who are lawyers out there a little happier because obviously from time to time, causes of action change. And uh, I remember when no-fault insurance came in, everyone thought it was the demise of the legal industry. And all of a sudden you had so many other areas to for them to pursue. So it's always going to evolve. This has been a tremendous discussion about this particular issue. Uh, I think our audience has gotten some insight that they may not, not have had uh, just listening to media reports. So I want to thank you very much, Zach. And if somebody wanted to get a hold of you, get in touch with you, uh, how would they do that? Uh, sure. They can find me on LinkedIn. They can find me at my firm's uh, website. Uh, my email address is Z, as in Zach, and then Heck, H-E-C-K, at FIClaw.com. If they uh, Google my name, they'll find a number of different professional profiles uh, that they can find and reach out to me. I'm always happy to talk to anybody. <laughs> Terrific. And Ryan, if someone wanted to reach you, how would they do that? Uh, you can find me also on LinkedIn, of course. You can also go to ringlerassociates.com, search by state, and you'll find me under Ohio. Terrific. And uh, just like Ryan, if you uh, want to go on ringlerassociates.com, you'll find all the Ringler Associates out there all around the country for all of your structured settlement uh, needs. And of course, there's a lot of information on that website that insight into a lot of the issues that uh, that all of us are concerned with in the in the litigation arena uh, and also of course all the ringler radio shows you can find on ringlerassociates.com you can also find these shows on ringlerradio.com legaltalknetwork.com or on iTunes where you can download and listen to them at your leisure so with that i want to say thanks very much Zach for being a great guest thank you for having me and Ryan thanks for being a great co-host thanks for having me as well and for all the rest of you out there Turn on your computers and go have a great day. Bye-bye. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Ringler Radio, celebrating more than a decade of podcasting and over 2 million listeners. Think of Ringler, the objective settlement advisors with more than 140 consultants in 60 cities nationwide. Visit ringlerassociates.com today.